This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere Thursday at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You wanted it, you got it. It's another episode of Binge Boys with me, Hal Rudnick, and across from me on the Zoom computer screen, Lon Harris. Hey, I don't, we can't verify they wanted it. Well, they, they've got it. I don't know yes. for sure. At least like 50 to 75 of them want it. <laughs> but based on uh, our metrics, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's it's under a hundred. It's probably over fifty. One. <laughs> Otherwise, a few more may be listening, but it's being foisted upon them. I've decided to start every episode with a little wishful thinking. <laughs> hey, Lon. <laughs> yes, you're willingly listening to binge boys. It's wishful yes. thinking on our part. You, you maybe you're in us. someone's backseat. Maybe someone is listening to it uh, next to you on a train and they're just they don't have their earbuds in. That happens. And Listen. then you will be a willing convert. Yeah. I, on, I've been on it's... public transportation. I know how these things go, folks. I'm a man of the people is what I'm saying. What I'm saying, the term working class hero gets thrown around a lot these days. But and I it think... does not apply to you. No, so... not really. <laughs> it's something to be, but it does not apply to you. No, uh, John Lennon, very relevant reference right there. So that's, God bless, that's like God, God, mid, you know, <laughs> 1970s John Lennon song. Folks. God bless the, uh, the 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 people that make this great land of ours function uh, out there song, in the right? trenches. Plastic Ono Band, yeah, Plastic Ono Band. Uh, I'd know it if I heard it. I'd know it if I heard it. That's or, literally or, goes. A working class hero is something to be. That's how it goes. So great. Maybe if you I haven't listened to Plastic Ono Band, that's one of the really good Lennon solo albums. Anyway. Is there any Yoko Ono screaming on that? You know, some. There's a lot of him screaming. It's when he was going through, you know, he did that scream therapy very famously. Uh, mm. That there's like, there was that, at the time it was very trendy. There was a guy in New York who was leading people in scream, where you would just get out all your aggression and your frustration by just like literally yelling at the top of your lungs. Primal scream right. therapy. So Lennon was doing that. Uh, at the time he was making this album. So there are, he's got that song Mother on it, it where, where. Mother. No, that's dancing. Uh, his okay. was like, mama don't go, daddy come home. That's the chorus. But because he was going through this scream therapy thing, he, by the end of the song, he's just, he's screaming it at the top of his lungs. Well, how uh, about that? It's an it's an interesting album for sure. I folks. don't know it. I have not delved into a lot of people like their their John Lennon solo knowledge kind of begins and ends with Imagine. Yes, and I'm like I, he has a lot better solo numbers than Imagine. That's not my favorite. Like Instant Karma is the other really famous one, which I also really like. But I don't know it. I just know the Gal Gadot version. Right. 
Yeah. So, Lon, I wanted to ask you, we're recording on the Saturday, the day before the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. You're, Hey-o. You're a Go Pennsylvania uh, transplant. Philadelphia. I literally grew up around the Philadelphia. I say around. If you say I grew up in Philadelphia, people picture, like, the Fresh Prince, like, I'm on the court in West Philly. Obviously, that's what you'd think of when you're thinking of me. So, I just specify yes. like, around... I'm I'm from a, a a well-heeled, relatively, you know, a middle-class suburb called the Main Line, which sure. is outside of the city of Philadelphia. But Got around it. in the Philadelphia area, and my parents grew up in, in within the city of Philadelphia. And uh, so they're, the whole family, not me because I don't give a shit about sports, but the whole family is is big Eagles fans. Right, right. Will you be watching the game? I, uh, I do think I'm going to watch the game with my brother, and, and uh, he's a big Eagles fan, and some of some of his friends, uh, they've invited me to their Super Bowl party, so I think I'm going to do that. Uh, and I haven't been to a Super Bowl party in many years, I have to say. Sure. I usually end up watching it here, often on a bootleg stream, because I don't have cable anymore. Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. This, you know, like, the, most of these live events are on... You could stream them now. Not not the Super Bowl. Not the big game no. on Fox. So they so don't we stream won't it. be talking about it on. No, Game I refuse. Boys, God damn this. it! No, we can we can if you want to. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe I'm you know if I mean it's pro- we're probably going to record our next episode a couple of weeks after. So I I doubt there's going to be any reverberations. Like no crypto ads this year. Whoa, big story. But right. I will tell you one thing, Lon. Uh, scratch that. Right now, in regards to a show that is streaming, Breaking Bad, I've already seen the Popcorners commercial. Yeah, with sure, where they, they brought back Tuco. Tuco Salamanca comes back. Tuco, and, and then, of course, uh, Jesse and Walter in it. Uh, I really liked this commercial. Yeah, I mean, you know. And I usually hate the commercials where people are reprising their roles. I mean, yeah, it's pretty clever. I, that was the one thing, the one thing I thought that got a, got a rise out of me that I thought, oh, that was good, was I did not expect to see uh, Tuco come back. Like, yeah. I knew that Aaron Paul and Cranston were coming back, and they were mm-hmm. like, oh, they're making popcorners in the lab instead of uh, crystal meth, you know. Uh Kind of, kind of. So that's the sort of the most obvious angle. But then when they went to go sell them to Tuco, I was like, "That's clever," and I'm I'm glad that guy got to come back and get get a big payday. That actor, I don't know his name, but he's great. The guy who plays Tuco. Tight, tight, tight. Yeah, no, he's terrific, and it's really funny, and like that's a great moment. And I like too that it we're we're going right back. We just finished the Albuquerque verse with yep. the conclusion of Better Call Saul. I like that we jump right back to season one Breaking Bad with the reference, you know, like it's 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 sort of it, there was a nice circular thing to it. Having said that, eh, you know, none of these ads. I don't I feel like ads used to be more clever and now mm-hmm. it's just more of that same thing we get in movies and TV shows where it's like, hey, look, we got. We got the guy back to do the thing, say the line, you know, like. I also saw the Adam Driver commercial where it's for a Squarespace, the website uh, design, and right. he is contacting the, he's discovering the singularity. Uh, it's a creative commercial, starts off great, 
it ends with a little bit of a fizzle, I thought. And those are two Super Bowl commercial reviews before yeah. we've even seen the Super Bowl. My good. Yeah, well, that's now with the week before the Super Bowl, you basically see they're kind of stealing their own thunder. I know. I was thinking the same thing because it's like I want the big reveal the big reveal game day as opposed to, yeah, we'll soft, uh, have a little soft opening. Before By the you time see you see the actual ad during the game, you kind of already know what's coming. They're, they're, they're sort of cannibalizing themselves and they know it's not like we're not all going to watch it together during the Super Bowl. Like everybody watches. That's the whole point. You don't have to put it on YouTube first. Everybody's going to see it during the Super Bowl. But now I've already seen it, so instead of going and taking my classic Super Bowl dump during the game oh, and yeah. watching the commercials, I'm going to watch the game and take my classic Super Bowl dump your, your during the, the commercials. The famous Rudnick Super Bowl dump. It, it, it started started as just a local custom before spreading around the world. Absolutely. More popular than the Super Bowl itself in many countries. Not America yet. But in many countries, I mean, it's they don't even the know. They don't even know what the original reference is. Men will just be like, "Gonna go take a a Rudnick Super Bowl dump," and people will be like, "You know, that's named after a guy named Hal in America who likes to uh, have a BM during the big game." Oh yeah, and there are seven layers of power to that BM. Listen, you know, Lon, you know what? I've already alienated everybody. We let's just jump into the news here. What do you think? That 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 that. The news with Lon. Our top story, BM underutilized. I'm going to put it out there right now. Oh, yeah. That's a way underutilized as a euphemism for, for a number two. I, I really enjoy that one. I'd agree. I'd agree on that. That's what, when I was a, when I was a child, that's what, that's what my mom used to call uh, going to the bathroom. She would be like, do you need to do a BM? And so that's always <laughs> stuck with me as, as being very funny to me. I don't know why. Her picking that is funny to me. Same here. It's like a previous generation's term. Yeah, it's very formal. It's very formal for a child. You would think like, do you have to go duty or, or you know, like that's what I feel like most parents poop. Poopy. I was 21 years old when I first heard the reference. I was leaving a water park in Pennsylvania <laughs> and I had to run back in to use the restroom. And the security guard uh, asked me, is it a BM? <laughs> I don't know why every <laughs> and time. I, it's and I had to, to think about it. Like what? Oh, about no, it's not yeah. like I had to piece it together in my head. And I said, no. And then he said, and then he said, just go over there against the fence. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's dirty. Oh, yeah. What a dirty security guard that is. That guy. It was Billy Bob Thornton, weirdly. It, it was, <laughs> a dereliction of duty. Yeah, really. All right, let's do some news. This is yes. ridiculous. This is ridiculous already. I can't believe we're talking We're talking BS. Way off ten, the rails. Ten minutes into this podcast. Oh, this is so... Like, you couldn't script it. We're going right from... Uh, literally talking about names for shit into Disney's quarterly earnings. You gotta love this podcast. <laughs> oh, Only the on Binge smiled. Boys, folks. We're going full Jim Cramer this week. Well, no, I was just gonna say, I know we're not gonna talk about the earnings, but that's the that's the backstory for why we got some Disney updates that impact the world of streaming. Bob Iger, the new CEO, back. He's he's the returning CEO. Yes. They liked him so much, they, they named him twice, whatever. Told investors he's still open to potentially selling Hulu if the right deal oh. came along. Now, uh, 
Comcast and Hulu, Comcast and Disney currently split Hulu. Disney owns about two thirds, Comcast still owns one third, but the deal was always supposed to be by 2024, Disney was gonna buy the remaining stake from Comcast. But now Iger's basically saying like, well, he'd be open to them collectively selling it to someone else or potentially selling Disney's two thirds to Comcast. So then Peacock and Hulu presumably could, could merge or something. Uh, so that's oh. that's a fascinating because Comcast owns NBC Universal, which owns Peacock. So theoretically, they also own a chunk of Hulu. If Disney wanted, you know, Disney content would probably leave Hulu at some point, and then I should know this off the top of my head. Disney owns 20th Century Fox. Disney owns Fox. Yes. yes. Well, they own Fox assets. Fox Corp is its own. We're going to actually talk about them in a bit. Yeah, News that's still Corp, its own thing. That's right. It's Fox owned by the Murdochs. Sports. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that'd be weird if Disney owned ESPN and Fox Sports. So now like, it's, it's so now it's not 20th Century Fox anymore. It's just like 20th Television and 20th yes. Century Pictures and all that. But all yeah, those assets, all the FX stuff, is exactly on Hulu. that all went to Disney. So that's yeah. all owned by Disney. That's why like The Simpsons is on Disney Plus now. Right, right, right. So that's one thing that's very interesting and is just out there in the world that well we always just assumed eventually Disney would own Hulu outright. In the US, that's their strategy. There's Disney Plus for family stuff and the big IP and franchises. And then there's Hulu for like true crime and adult things and, you know, like, we, you know, weird stuff and whatever. Sure, sure. Like their new, what was it? New Line Cinema was Disney's? Or no, no, what was the New Line Cinemas now? Well, that's Warner Brothers. Previously, so that's way owned back by when, Warner Brothers. Way, ba way back when, Disney. Touchstone. It was You're thinking of Touchstone. 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 Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That was their that was their distribution. Well, they didn't want to release something as Walt Disney Pictures, maybe because it had a boob in it, or someone said the f bomb. They would put it out as a Touchstone. Roger right. Rabbit was a Touchstone movie. That's owned oh. by Disney, but they should have. That should have been at Disney. Well, you know, it's got its weird noir trappings, Hoskins. I think uh, nowadays they might have made it a Disney. Well, I feel like they'd embrace it now because they'd want Roger Rabbit to be a branded Disney character. It was only much, yes. much later that they got around to integrating Roger Rabbit into the Disney canon. Now, mm -hmm. if they made that movie today, Roger Rabbit would be front and center meeting kids at Disneyland and what have you. That, yep. they, they later did. Like, there, there was that Roger Rabbit cartoon spin ride with him, but it took the a while. The kids love Bob Hoskins. The kids? I loved Bob Hoskins as a kid. I don't know what these other loser kids are up to. Uh, so anyway, we, to continue on Disney news, uh, Iger also teased plans for sequels to Toy Story, Frozen, and Zootopia. So we're going to get new... Toy Story 5 is happening. Now, do you think we're getting Toy Story 5 because Buzz Lightyear uh, came in, like, lukewarm? Yes and no. Like, on the specific, they looked at the box office of Lightyear and were like, oh, shit, Toy Story 5, maybe, I don't know. But on the grand scale of it's a lot easier to go back and make Toy Story 5 and guarantee yourself a built-in audience, whereas taking a risk like turning one character into a new franchise you're risking people just not being interested. So yeah, I think on that level, for sure, they're doing this because it's fucking safe and it's gonna goose the stock. You know, people are gonna be like, oh, Frozen 3, yeah, that people are gonna wanna see that, you know, it's a sure thing. Yeah, because I wonder what kind of scripts they had in the hopper uh, thinking when Lightyear lights up the box office, then we'll trot out Woody, a well, cowboy I do think, story. I still feel like they're gonna try it 
Sheriff Woody Western thing at some point. I I, I do feel like that will happen. I hope they. It almost be silly not to. Did you see Lightyear? It's not bad. I thought it was pretty. I good. did see Lightyear, but we talked about it on this yeah, show. Yeah, I think we did. I I thought it was fun. I don't mind if they want to turn Woody into his own franchise. Why not? I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It didn't feel like a movie from that era. It just I had I had a lot of the same. What else they gonna do? Like oh, these utensils are going on an adventure. Like we're running out of things to Pixarfy. Pixar, Pixarify. Mm-hmm. You know, we we did the toys, we did the cars, we did the bugs, we did the fish, pets. we did the pilot. Well, Universal. Well, someone did else pets. did pets. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they did. But so that's what I mean. Like, what 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 what's left? You know, like what what else? Are you oh, we're, we've run out of stuff. Yeah, we're they they are their next one is elements. Like, ooh, the the guy who is fire is in love with the lady who is water. Have you seen this? Elemental, it's called. That's I'm not making that up. That's real. really that's a that's a Pixar. That's the next Pixar one. It's like a town where everybody is like an element or a form of oh, matter wow. or something. And yeah, because they're they're running out of stuff. You know, they even had to do emotions already. Now, so now they're getting into delving into the basic building blocks of life. Yeah, we're going to be like, it's Adam, girl, and Molecule Man. You know, we're running out of shit. Anyway, one more thing I think was is interesting here. And this is a minor story, but I it's a it's a it's a canary in the coal mine. It's an indication of how things are going. Both Disney and Netflix in their most recent, you know, investor earnings reports whatever, they've said they're going to stop reporting and tracking subscriber counts and they're going to switch over to tracking profitability and other metrics. So it's like, that's where everything is going. We're, we're done trying to win everybody over and get new subscribers. And now we're trying to squeeze people for all the money we can get out of them. Like that's- Wait, I don't understand. Why don't they just do both? I mean, they have to count well, their subscribers. They're, they're, it's a purposeful shift. They're saying their goal, they're, because it reflects their goals as a company. They're telling investors, we were focused exclusively on subscribers, getting people, get, you know, recruitment, signing people yes. up, getting them excited about what we were offering. And mm -hmm. now we're done doing that. We won everybody over. They've already signed up. Now we're going to focus on how do we make the most money off of them. So that's what oh. it represents. It's not that they are still obviously going to keep an eye on the subscriber count. It's not that they're not going to look at it. It's but that they're, they're shifting focus to how much money can we wring out of those subscribers exactly. bank exactly. accounts. And so we're going to start looking at cost cutting measures. We're going to start looking at fees going up. You know, you're paying a dollar or two or three dollars more for the services. And that leads us directly into my next story. Yes. Netflix's password sharing crackdown, which is slowly spreading now around the world. It started in a handful of Central and South American markets. Because uh, what are they going to do in Peru? Suck it. Uh, I mean, now, overthrow the government? Yeah. No, uh, so that, that it started in Latin America. Now we've moved on Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain. Users in those countries got emails that are basically like, uh, you have to limit your Netflix password to people in your same household. That's your home base. People in your house can share your Netflix password, but they're saying if people log in from external to your house, right. they're going to get prompted to sign up for their own Netflix account. Now, you can ah. pay a few dollar fee per month for right. up to two people outside of your house. So. Uh -huh. 
if I want to share Netflix with my mom, it's like $2 extra a month and I can give my mom my password. But that's it. Only two people. Wasn't there like a, a massive revolt against this? Or? Well, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. Netflix to its help center, FAQ page, whatever. Yes. They posted a bunch of new rules, some of which were very new weird rules. and restrictive. Yeah, new rule. Uh, Bill Maher was uh, hosting a video about him. No, and, and it was included some weird stuff. Like you have to log in through your home Wi-Fi once a month or you'll lose access to Netflix, all sorts of crazy what? shit. So that people got heard that and got very thrown off. And it was like, it's yeah. going to be difficult to like travel. What if you, you know, your kids stay at two homes or what if you have a vacation home or all people came up with all sorts of scenarios. So Netflix is, and they, they pulled that. They said that went up by accident. Those weren't the new real rules. These are the new real rules, and they're they're more lax. So you can go on vacation. It, it, there are ways to get around it. If you establish this is my vacation home, they're not going to cancel your Netflix or whatever. Jeez, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, Netflix controlling you. You must stay in one place and watch right. your Netflix. But uh, you, they also, are going to try to— broke my heart, Lon, the way you were describing a child of divorce going yeah. back and forth well, between two homes. But it's homes. true. But, but, you know, people were coming up with, well, there's lots of scenarios by which— People use their Netflix in multiple locations and they're not stealing Netflix. They're, you know, people who subscribe and want to use Netflix on the go. You know, people use it on their tablet. They want to watch The Office sometimes or whatever. You understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, what if what if you're. Uh, yeah. Well, but what if you're a kid of divorce and your cheap ass dad ain't paying for no streaming services? Yeah, exactly. Well, but it's true. You know, like that kid shouldn't lose Netflix because they go to their other home. Like that's not. And then I don't he's think, stuck with books. I don't think Netflix wants to pull that kid's Netflix and they they can't access their Coco Melon or what have you. Uh, so right. so they're 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 gonna. We're, I don't know. We're still figuring out how exactly it's going to be enforced. But they're saying that is still okay. It's just sharing it permanently with your friends. They're going to try to like crack down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how that works, but it's all coming from this same place, which is these places are desperate to, they don't they don't have new subscribers as their revenue growth anymore. For a long time, Netflix was just like, well, we're going to launch in Brazil, and then all the Brazilian signups, that'll be our growth this quarter. There's a ton of people in Brazil. But at this point, all these places, all these services are basically launched around the world. All the people who are willing to sign up have signed up. So now it's about, well, how do we continue to grow revenue even after we've got everybody already signed up? It's like, well, squeeze them. Like, exactly, Let you know, me ask you this. Back to the kid off. who's the child of, back to this kid who's the child of divorce. Sure. Ron. Uh, so what if the dad wants to use the Netflix and it's the kid, it's not his weekend with the kid. He wants to use it to watch some steamy thriller with uh, the woman he picked up at the local watering hole. Now, can the mom get wind of that and then get Netflix to put the kibosh on dad's account? Uh, It's a... The watering hole. I'm just I'm just hung up on water. The local watering hole, and he's like, yeah, "Hey, why don't you come up, back and watch yeah, my old lady's up. stolen Netflix?" What a all right. Or let's say he met up with someone. Real, let, uh, real catch. All right, let's say he met up with someone on Hinge. He met up with all a, right, with, all right. with that, some that, woman. That feels more contemporary. Thank you. Um, or he met a woman at the gym because the, she caught him staring and. 
And he was like, no, I just have astigmatism. And he was like, hey, my my lonely, traumatized child logged into my ex-wife's Netflix account. You want to come back to the house with me and watch Ginny in Georgia? You think that's, yeah, or that's the scenario thriller. you're painting? I think Ted Sarandos would be so depressed by this question that he would just allow this person to do whatever they wanted. Just to get it out of very this. Depressing. Just to get out of this whole conversation, I think Ted Sarandos would be like, okay, you can have it. You can have Ginny in Georgia for free. I just wish that this whole hypothetical family well. Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree. I think uh I think Emily and Paris is gonna really help them out. I think they're gonna take a lot of inspiration from that show. Mom is living her best life. Dad, he's falling apart at the yeah, seams. Yeah, it's not going well for him. Uh, let's move on because uh, otherwise who, we're, uh, our listeners are going to open a vein. Uh, Bloomberg reported this week that Fox, that's the other Fox, Fox Corp, not the one that's owned by Disney, the one that's owned, uh, the one that's Rupert run Murdoch, by- Murdoch, the Murdoch Lachlan family. Murdoch runs it. Lachlan Murdoch, you know him. Uh, Logan Roy is a proxy. <laughs> no, well, Kendall Roy would be Lachlan. Logan oh, would yeah. be Rupert. Rupert. Uh, yeah. Bloomberg reported this week that Fox has received multiple offers for the ad-supported streaming platform Tubi, some as high as, wait for it, hang on, $2 billion. Whoa! But Fox has turned all of these offers down. The online ad market down overall, but Tubi's revenue spiked by 25% at the end Ow! of 2022. Fox got an overall 4% jump in company-wide revenue just from Tubi. Tubi's killing it. Uh, Damn. Tubi also just signed that deal with Warner Brothers Discovery. They're going to get all the shows that got pulled off of HBO Max. So, like, Westworld's going to stream on Roku and Tubi now uh, so they can sell ads. That's uh, it's, it's very exciting. Do you ever watch Tubi, Hal? Have you checked out Tubi? I haven't ch uh, checked. Oh, you know what? I actually, they have, they have a good uh, selection of horror, and I think right. I watched... Um, I think I was watching a couple of Hellraiser movies yes. on Tubi. Uh, Tubi has a surprisingly good selection of like B movies and low budget movies and horror movies and like like a lot of seventies, eighties, nineties, like offbeat gonzo cinema kind of stuff. Canon films. Yeah, and like if you're a fan of the podcast, how did this get made? As I am. Mm -hmm. often a lot of the movies, the kinds of movies they talk about will pop up on Tubi. Oh, uh, a, a surprising amount of the time. Like it's, it's becoming a very good service for like B movie fans and exploitation fans of which I am one. So I actually find myself drifting over to Tubi more and more. Uh, and I really recommend it. You know, you, you, the ads are a little bit of a bummer, but it's not it's not horrible. Like, it's not like they're constantly interrupting the content. I don't yeah, think it's that Yeah, it takes bad. you back to the old days of watching TV. It, it does. And, and the kinds of stuff that they have on there, like, you do kind of feel like it's like a movie of the week. Like, it is the kind of thing that you used to watch on, like, you know, a deep cable channel at, like, the middle of the day that would be That's interrupted fun. by the same ads over and over. Like, I watched one... It's this Clive Barker movie that he made like early on in his career called Rawhead Rex. It's just like a monster movie set in Ireland. And it's like not the sort of thing Netflix would spend any amount of money on. But Tubi puts it because, you know, they'll put ads against it. So who gives a shit? As long as a few people watch it, they're making a little bit of money on it. So uh, I actually do recommend checking out Tubi if you're if you have not taken a look. T-U-B-I. There you go. 
Next story, lots of reports from the UK about problems on the set of the reality competition series Squid Game, The Challenge, which they're shooting now outside later. I hardly think people who signed up to play in the Squid Game should be subjected to something unpleasant. I mean, are they trying to be too true to the spirit of the Squid Game? I mean, that is what you get, I guess, if you are participating in the Squid Game. So the idea here, 456 players competing in non-homicidal versions of the cutthroat schoolyard competitions from the show. They were shooting, the the game in question seems to be Red Light, Green Light. That's the one from Squid Game. They're playing with that robot murder doll. Uh, So... They were re- they were recording it in freezing temperatures, Hal. Ooh. And so many people reported medical problems after the shoot. There were early reports, like Rolling Stone had an early report from people saying they were basically being tortured. They were being subjected to freezing temperatures for nine, ten hours. And Rolling Stone, also part of that early report was a lot of the people who were participating were saying it was rigged. Like... It was obviously scripted. They knew who the winners were going to be. And they were basically being treated like extras on a set instead of competitors. Uh, Okay. We don't know. No confirmation. Those are still rumors, folks. I don't want to say it's definitely rigged. You get on a reality show, you sign your life away. Those are still rumors. But what we now have confirmed, the UK, there were enough medical complaints that they've now ordered a government. They ordered an independent safety review of the set. So they're not taking any action against the producers, but they did already have a review of like, are they, is everything up to code here? People were complaining about, one guy said he suffered a herniated disc and a torn knee tendon. Another person claimed they contracted both pneumonia and an ear infection. Uh, There were other people saying there was a woman convulsing on the floor and nobody was giving her any attention because they were afraid of being disqualified from the squid game. So they're they are doing the Squid Game, you know. You know, I don't I don't like hearing that that happened to people. So please don't tell me things like that anymore. Oh, but also, okay. uh, h- how often do you feel like stuff like that happens on reality shows? I think all the time, probably on like Surv- uh, on Survivor. Survivor, or, or, right? Or, yeah, I mean or, there there are uh, definitely what's the like one of these obstacle course shows. Yeah, uh, there are, there are wipeout. There were there used to out. be there used to be physical complaints. People like getting hurt on the set sometimes. Yeah, like. There are those shows that have that component to them. And I do, I was joking before, but I do feel like if you sign up for Squid Game, like, well, it's not going to be the move. Like, nobody's going to shoot you in the head. But, like, it's obviously, it's not going to be Squid Game unless it's, like, really tough and Physically rigorous. You're not going to like doing it. I mean, I just feel like the whole idea of really doing a Squid Game always struck me as a bad idea. Like, inconsistent with the moral outlook of the show, which is condemning of the Squid Game project and satirical. And so even though you're not murdering somebody, you're still asking people to basically get tormented for a shot at money. You're still doing the same thing the show is critiquing. So I kind of don't dig it from the start, and obviously I don't dig it that they're hurting people yeah, in order to realize it. Yeah, it's antithetical to why, to, to, to the existence of this uh, game in the TV show. I mean, just make it, like, if you want to do Squid Game, just make it, like, real playground games, and it doesn't have to be brutal. Like, why, why is that part of it for, like, I don't know. For viewership, Lon, if you know there's the chance of someone getting hurt, yeah, then it, no, that it is, might be that much more apt. I mean, obviously, like, I'm sure in Netflix is in part 
thankful that this is happening because now they can promote it as like, ooh, it's too so dangerous. The real we're doing a Squid Game, folks. You know, like yep. Look what happened. Oh no! The, the, uh, the, look at all this bad press. Wink, wink. I feel uh, like this ends with Netflix just doing a real Squid Game, and like if people get murdered, like we'll all be like, well, look, they signed up. We gave them a chance to back out, you know? Like, just like in the in the show Squid Game, we would go, look, this is real. We're going to murder you. Yeah, and, I mean, and if you want to keep doing it, you can. I feel like people would be Society okay Society is working towards Running Man, Hunger Games, Series 7, Battle Royale, yeah. I feel like if you came out and said... We're going to do a real Squid Game. Look, we're going to make sure everybody, we're not going to surprise anybody. Everybody who's doing it is in. They've agreed to do a Squid Game. They know that it's for real. They know what's up. I think people would be okay with it. I don't I don't think you'd get in trouble. I think most people would be like, all right. If you could get the government to sign off on not putting you in jail for killing people, I think everybody else would be on board. Listen, if it's President DeSantis, I think he'd be like, okay. I don't know. I think there would be a moral reckoning. I genuinely don't think most Americans would care. I think people would be like, they, they wanted to do it. They said, OK. I'm against it. Now, pardon me while I go watch the big game tomorrow where everyone is essentially having a car crash. Yeah, you're, yeah we're all going to watch Concussion play. Fest tomorrow. So, yeah, it's not that it's not that far off. But no, like legit, I'll tell you exactly what happened. We would do a real squid game. Everybody would be totally fine with it. And then like yeah. the week after you'd get like crying guys like it was so I didn't realize before that it would be bad, but it was bad. Like it would be that thing. Like yeah. who could have known that it would be bad to do a squid game? That's what would happen. Don't do it. Listen, folks, if you take one thing away from today's podcast, don't do a squid game. Don't do a real I IRL squid no, game. I'm going to go one step further. Don't do any squid. If somebody's like, hey, you want to do a squid game, I promise not to kill you. Still don't do it. That's what I'm don't saying. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Even the classic Bad Korean news. children's game squid game, no longer do that. Just, at, uh, just I'm out. The moment that comes into it, I'm out. No, I don't. Do I want, I don't even want to like carve a honeysuckle or whatever, honeycomb into a shape. I'm done. Get the fuck out of here. Guy wow. in a suit trying to get me to flip a card over. I've had it. All right, Lon, swearing off all Squid Game related competitions. All Korean schoolyard games. I'm done. I'm done with all of them. Until we talk about the Squid Game on this show. Well, I'll watch Squid Game season two. Yeah. <laughs> the scripted one. Uh, Peacock announced a new feature called Watch With. So some Peacock shows, they're now going to debut along with real-time commentaries and reactions with cast members. So basically, DVD commentaries. We're doing DVD, we're going to have but video. We're going to have live, not live, but while you watch the show, you can watch a commentary. The first one's going to be on February 24th. Uh, Jabari Banks and Ali Sholotan are going to watch the season two premiere of Bel Air along with you, the viewer at home. Uh, but then th we're also going to do this on Eurovision. When Eurovision airs later this year on Peacock, they're going to have, you know, the actual singers and performers popping up to do commentary. Right. Uh, and then the next season of Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. The ladies are going to be doing live commentary. They'll watch along with you. Won't that be fun, Real Housewives fans? I mean, Real Housewives shows, 
they are already commenting and have the asides because well, they're doing the, sure. the confessionals. Right, but, let but me ask like, you this. imagine them the, going back and watching the show. They're obviously going to have right. those. Those testimonials were recorded during production. Now right. they're reacting to the whole season as a show. They're obviously going to be like, oh, this is... Uh, the, the actual day was totally different. Listen to what this lady crazy idiot said. You know, like it's going to be, they've got their extra layer of looking back on the season now. Yes, yes. So like, for example, if for the premiere of Bel Air, are right. they going to be pausing the episode and like in a split screen popping up or what? Yes, it's a split screen. So like you'll be watching the, the main part of your screen will be Bel Air season two premiere, but then you'll have a second window with the, with the guys, Jabari and Ollie. And right. no, I don't think they're, they're not pausing. It's just like a DVD track or a commentary track. They'll be- So you can choose that. You could choose to watch that. Exactly. It's a supplemental feature. You could just In watch the okay. show. Or if you, you know, you probably, what I think if you're a hardcore fan, if you're a real fan, you probably yeah. would watch the episode first yourself. Mm -hmm. and then you would go back and watch it with the commentary. Or you would just watch them both at once if you just wanted to see. Who has enough hours in the day for that? Well, if you're a real Bel Air fan, you know, like, maybe. I'm a fair, I guess I'm a fair weather Bel Air fan because I do not have the time nor bandwidth to do that. Yeah. Uh, I have never, I'm, I have not, I will admit, I have not seen uh, the, the Bel Air show. I I've I was been to Bel Air. Been to Bel Air. I was a big, you know, this is the one that's just the dramatic reboot of Fresh Prince. I know, I so know. So I was a big Fresh Prince fan. So you mm -hmm. would think, uh, you know, I'm curious, but I have not, I have not. Ali Sholotan, the other guy, he's Carlton. He's right. the new Carlton. I don't know if uh, you were, uh, I don't know if you watched any of the Grammys uh, this past week, but Will Smith was- I saw was, some clips, I saw some clips. Yeah, Will, they, they did a, a pretty good hip hop tribute from- They got a uh, lot of people. I, I never oh, really thought I would people. see Too Short on the Grammy stage. So good, oh, good yeah. for him. Short yeah, dog, good for him. Yeah. Glad glad to see uh, he made it. Blow the whistle. Uh, so they were supposed to have uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Yeah, no no Will Smith, uh, only only DJ Jazzy Jeff. And, and I have to say, <clears throat> Real cowardly of them to not, because in Grammy history, he's a he's a key figure, wasn't he? One of the early best rap uh, winners, Will Smith. Probably, probably. I think he was. I mean, did they? So it was a Grammy like a decision, Grammy, and not a, a Will notable Smith decision? Grammy artist, Will Smith. I mean, is he banned from all award shows, not just the Oscars? I, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like people. We we got as a nation we need to get over this right. Am I am I crazy? Like we like it's it's time. Like we we've uh, we've all we've all ostracized poor Will Smith and he made a mistake. He's sorry. He's apologized. I don't think Chris Rock is still mad. Well, we'll find out in March when his special comes we out. We will. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see if Chris Rock is still mad. But I think the 10-year Oscar ban is five years too long, at right. least. Five, it's two, one year, to slap, yeah. on the, slap him on the wrist. We, we Listen, listen, I'm not a trying to make light. A slap on the light. face gets a slap on the wrist? I'm not trying to make light. But the only thing that's really shocking about what happened is that it was on the Oscars. Like, slapping another guy because he makes a joke about your wife. Like, that's a thing I think a lot of people have probably done or seen happen. Yeah, that's something you do down at the local watering hole. That's a watering hole move for sure. Classic. It's, 
it's a thing I've seen happen. If I've seen it with mine own eyes, I can't be that shocked by it, right? Yeah. Am I crazy? Like, I don't feel like I travel in that rough and tumble a circle. This is a people slap each other. It's not the, it, it's that he shouldn't have done it. It was not the right thing to do. No. It's a thing he did. He immediately said he was sorry. He said he was sorry a bunch of other times. I believe him. It seems very sincere. I think he really is very sorry that he did that. Yeah. Who cares? He was he was good in Emancipation. I'm excited for Bad Boys 4. I cannot imagine holding this against the guy at this point. It really, it, it seems crazy to me that we're still upset. Yeah, I... Uh, you love copaganda. What? Where did that come from? Oh, bad boys. Bad. Yes. Listen, listen. <laughs> they're fun movies. They're I think fun the movies. bad boys movies, listen. one, they're more realistic about how much violence are perpetuated by police officers than most cop movies. Like, they, it shows cops leveling entire towns. So, yeah, like, you know, they're very cavalier about dead bodies, carnage, you know? That's honest in the bad boys films. Uh, but also like, yeah, I don't care. That's they're fun. They're a good time. I I, I separate the uh the these. I can uh, compartmentalize issues. and enjoy yes, Brooklyn exactly. Nine Nine and Bad Boys and not feel mm -hmm. bad about it. Uh, Sony and Amazon greenlit a live action series focused on the character Spider Man Noir. Oh, voiced by Nicolas Cage well, in the no, film. That's in the right in the film Into the Spider Verse, voiced by Nicolas Cage. This is a live action series for Prime Video, so not oh. not animated. Uh, right. No no word on casting, but I don't think it's going to be Nicolas. Cage, right. Uh, it's about an adult in the 1930s who is Spider Man, but is not Peter Parker. Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who produced Into the Spider Verse, are also producing this show through their overall deal with Sony. Their longtime collaborator, Oren Uziel, who worked on 22 Jump Street with them, uh, he's writing and producing. Uh, oh. So that, yeah, that that that's in the works. They're going to do a bunch of Sony Spider-Man TV shows. There's another one called uh, Silk Colon Spider Society that's also in the works. So we're going to get a Sony TV Spider-Verse, and this is one of the first shows to be announced. Gotcha. Oh, so they're, and they're all going to be live action. Into the Spider-Verse animated films are ongoing. We're getting a sequel this year. There are no plans to stop doing those. I'm sure they're going to keep doing those. It's really more of an in addition to that. Gotcha. We're also going to get a live action series and we're going to get live action Sony Spider-Verse movies. They've got Madame Webb with Dakota Johnson and right. Sidney Sweeney. That's happening. Yes, yes, yes. They've yes, been trying. That's filming. what Morbius was trying to sort of be part Ooh, of. Venom yeah. is part of that, obviously. Mm, mm -hmm, uh, so mm -hmm. yeah, there, there is a Basically, Sony's trying to squeeze all all the all that they can out of having the Spider-Man rights. The, all the eggs out of that egg sack. Well, they they need they they need this Marvel connection for the Spider-Man movies, so they're trying to do whatever they can on their own that doesn't require Marvel Studios direct input because they don't want to have to go through Feige all the time. Right. So this Please is their Papa Feige. Right. Give so us this more. is as long as Spider-Man's not in it, they don't have to talk to Kevin Feige. They can do whatever the hell they want. So that's why we're getting all of this like side Spider-Man. Like it's that's why I had to go. He's not Peter Parker. He's an older He's gentleman Peter with Spider-Man powers. He's, is the spider pig named Peter Porker? Yeah, I think so. Right. 
I think so. I think so. Yeah. If not, it should be. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. Spider-Man Noir. Yeah, and he talks, man, he talks like that, see? 1930s. I thought that, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But no, well, I that's because, right, he's like, a he's one of later. those, like. I thought it was 40s or 50s, but. No, it's that, that Edward G. Rupp, yeah, see? Here's what yeah, we're going to do, right? Yeah, that's 30s, that yeah, yeah. Yeah, James Cagney. Yeah. Look at me, Ma, top of the world. Right. Those are like prohibition stories and whatever. That's the 30s. Anyway, yeah. uh, I think they're I think they're right on. Nicole Kidman and Jamie Lee Curtis signed on to co-star in an Amazon series based on author Patricia Cornwell's K. Scarpetta books. Do you know these books? I feel like these are mom books. Like, I feel like yeah, my mom read these them. books. I don't know them. She's a forensic pathologist who uses cutting edge or what was cutting edge when these books were written. Uh, she uses technology to solve murder mysteries. So she's like Ooh. coming in, working on the dead body, doing the kind of CSI stuff to solve the mystery. So Nicole Kidman is gonna play Kay Scarpetta, and then Jamie Lee Curtis is gonna play her sister Dorothy, who I guess is a big figure in these novels. Uh, but mm -hmm. here's an interesting wrinkle. Jamie Lee Curtis and Patricia Cornwell, the novelist, are just close buddies. And so Jamie Lee Curtis was like, hey, we should, like she brought the project to Blumhouse TV. You know, Blumhouse makes the Halloween movies with her. Yep, and yep. And she yeah, set this oh, whole big, thing up. Big horror studio, Yeah, Blumhouse, she set yeah. this whole thing up just like her friend wrote the book. So anyway, there you go. Kay Scarpetta. Uh, Look if at you... Jamie Lee Curtis wheeling and dealing Academy Award nominee, Jamie Lee Curtis. It's a weird name, Kay Scarpetta. You know, it's one of those, like, it's a very like, mystery novel character kind of name. I don't feel like there'd be a person named Case Scarpetta. I feel like that's that's exclusively like the name of my mystery solving pathologist in my novels. I mean, I think you, what is it? Because she's an Italian American? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying Italians are too stupid to be pathologists. <sighs> oh, I thought you were saying saying. Italians aren't real. Like, it's like, no, okay. I believe the, I believe really in the existence of Italian. I'm just saying I don't believe okay. that they can do science. What about, wasn't Galileo Galileo <laughs> an Italian? Oh, you're right. Yeah, I guess there oh, are. All right, I'm glad There's we closed the loop on that mystery. Favorite. What about Fermi? Okay, you know what? Forget everything I Enrico said. Fermi, yeah. Enrico oh. Fermi. Of, the, of paradox fame. Listen, Apologies I just want to, to apologize all to all Italians. Uh, especially those who have mob ties, because I don't want the mafia to be. Angry. Oh, I don't. Why do you gotta? Why, why you gotta hit them where it hurts? Long? I don't listen. I don't want to be subjected to a hit. I don't want to sleep with the fishes. So let me apologize to our Italian American friends. Thank you. Okay. Finally, Hal. Last yes. story. Speaking of things that are deeply offensive to at least one or two people listening. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing Forever, the Twitch AI-generated 24-7 Seinfeld parody stream. Have you heard about, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Yeah, it's a show about nothing. And and, yeah, and they uh, and they had like, it was like 8-bit graphics. It was right. right. It, was, it was very low-grade animation. But the thing about it is all of it was algorithmically generated. So wow. the editing choices, the direction, the animation, the voices, the dialogue, all AI, mm -hmm. uh, and it and it roughly takes the form of a Seinfeld episode. So you get shots of the obvious Seinfeld stand-in character doing stand-up, and then you'd cut to 
a scene where there's there's Elaine, George, and Jerry in an apartment, and they're having a conversation. And it's just right. going back and forth between those two scenarios. Uh, so what happened, this was running 24-7 for a while. People are all having a good time. At a yep. certain point, the uh, stand-up material that the Jerry character is doing becomes a transphobic rant. It starts doing this material about... Oh, I'd like to say all this transphobic stuff, but I can't because people are offended. Sorry, folks. The show's canceled. Where'd everybody go? Like, that's the joke, is that it it alienates its its audience by doing transphobic jokes. In reaction, Twitch uh, temporarily banned the channel. The creators went on Discord. They apologized profusely. They explained the main software they've been using to generate the show uh, had a glitch or it stopped working. They switched to backup software, but that didn't have all of the controls and the mm. guard the guardrails that they'd set up for the main program. And so that's how transphobic material got through. But I think yeah, I didn't realize that uh, from what you were saying that it was actually like directly transphobic. I thought it was just like because no, it said uh, a few know. transphobic things, and then it said. I'd like to say those things, but I can't because everybody would be offended. And then it pretended like everybody had stopped watching. I was like, hello? Where'd everybody go? Like, that was the joke that, yeah. that it cleared the room by being transphobic. And so, like, I think it's, 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 to me, I think this story is so fascinating because obviously whatever, however they're teaching this AI to impersonate stand-up comedy. Yeah. It saw transphobic material, and that's where it learned computer. The computer didn't, you know, like people pretend. Because here's the thing: we're calling it AI, but this yeah. stuff isn't written. These computers are not thinking. It's not AI like Blade Runner. This is. It's just watching or listening to or reading a lot of stand-up comedy. Yeah, and it's, then, it's the receipts of human history, and it's right. taking some of these it's and just it's generating regurgitating. Them. Exactly. And, but uh, yeah, I. I would have thought they would have just fed all the Seinfeld episodes into it, but I guess not. No, because, they must have just in, fed a bunch of stand-up into it. Like, gender norms, I mean, you know, it's a, it, Seinfeld is obviously a different day and age. Like, it was, came out, like, a generation ago, essentially, a couple generations ago. Yeah. Uh, and, like, you have episodes like The Man Hands, where they are very critical, and it's the butt of a joke. And listen, it's... You it's know, from a different. Uh, I, it's from a. There, there are a few episodes in particular that really stand out. as like, well, you, you, you would not even you wouldn't make this joke or this observation today, but you do it in a different way that made it more obvious that these are retrograde ideas. You know, yeah, I, I don't not hear. that. Oh, this this female is lesser because she's well, got a feature like a man. So, and so it's very judgmental. And a lot of people, you know, Gen Zers and millennials get on Seinfeld, less millennials, more Gen Z, like the, uh, and they're, they get upset at Seinfeld for how mean spirited it is sometimes. And it is mean spirited. I don't yeah. think you can, I don't think you can deny that. I think that the, the issue with a lot of Seinfeld jokes is that, Though the subtext of the larger show is these aren't very good people. And you know that yeah. Larry David understood that and Jerry Seinfeld on some level. And like the the series finale calls attention to it. Yes. But I don't think that's an ever-present idea in all of the episodes. I think for the most part, these characters are presented in a very sympathetic way. And mm -hmm. so when they express these very negative attitudes, we don't immediately think Jerry's wrong 
George is wrong, even though, you know, they, they are, the creators recognize that they are, and it was being done for comic effect. And so I think yes. that's why, like, like you could get away with things in Seinfeld that you wouldn't get away with or wouldn't present in the same way today, just because it's presented as, oh, I can understand why Jerry would have an issue with this. Like, the, the one I always think about is uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Where the joke, the, the joke still, the joke is still funny. Because the joke is still at Jerry and George's expense, which is they're so overly oversensitive overly to being careful, seen. Yes. Right. They're they're so desperate to not be seen as homophobic. That's the joke, not homophobia. Right. Uh, but I think you would you would hit that harder today. The way it's presented, you kind of have to get there yourself. Yeah, it's it's from a different. I mean, I love the show personally, but I do absolutely think you know, as with anything, there are jokes uh, that maybe didn't age the best. Oh, of course. I mean, there's also individual moments and in jokes that are just like, well, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't. But do I, I think I think in in general, it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's this damn AI's fault. And AI is why we can't have anything nice. And eventually it will come for us. It will knock at our door. There'll be a Boston Dynamics dog that is barking our name. In order to believe in the AI is evil and going to take over the world thing, you have to believe in it having independent thought. And it's like, no, it's this really boring, shitty kind of dystopian where... It's doing all of the work for humans, and so humans aren't are, you know, participating in the world or economy anymore. But it's but it's also not doing a good job, you know. Like like we're so there's there's so many people that are just like in the fucking tank for this bullshit, and they're willing yeah. to like forgive, you know, like oh, a computer made this. Look how cool it is, and it's like no, it's fucking trash. And if a human made it you would absolutely think it was trash and you only think it's cool because a computer made it. Yeah, because a computer randomly generated and it. And that like, sucks. And like, yeah, like a person would do better. Like, uh, you know, David Wayne from The State and he's a great, a very funny director and uh, human being. Um, he posted this thing that it tickled me where it's like, oh, I asked AI to write a scene where Darth Vader uh, reveals that he's wearing blue jeans. And he turns around and Darth Vader yeah. pulls his cape back and he's wearing blue jeans. And th the idea came from David Wayne. David Wayne could write it, uh, I'm sure, funnier or if not better or just as good as the AI. But because the AI was able to take his idea and do it, we love the AI. So it's like a parlor trick at this point. Exactly. Right. It's like a computer didn't think of anything funny a comedian told the computer what to do. That's not yeah. AI. That's just a computer program. And like, yeah. that's what I, that's what I hate. Is this, is this. Well, we're just at the beginning, bucko. We're just at the, idiot. we're just well, at no, the tip but of I, I think that's bullshit too. I think the, the, it's always, we're always presented these new technologies and yeah. it always comes with, it sucks today, but imagine you know, in 15 years, you can imagine. And so far, Never. It never actually paid off. Like, what, VR? We've had that since the fucking 90s. It sucked the whole time. And it's always like, <laughs> but imagine, I mean, if it's like this today, like, fucking in 15 years. It's already been more than 15 years. And what about self-driving cars? Remember? That was like, well, they're hitting children today. But I predict in 10 years that we'll all be in driverless taxis. And here we are. Still fucking running into children today with our Teslas, and it's no better. And I, I'm almost 
positive it's going to be the same. It's like, well, if, it, if it's writing, if it's doing this today, it's going to be writing the great American novel in 10 years. And it's like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. It's never going to be good. My money is on that room full of monkeys with typewriters. It's never going to be good. It's never going to do something good. The whole Turing test is bullshit because it's, it's like, well, a human will never, you know, the, the Turing test is like an AI is advanced if a human can't tell the difference. And it's like, a human can't tell the difference between fucking anything. A human's a fucking idiot. I don't trust any random human. Yeah, it takes like, me 20 seconds to realize it's a recording calling me on the Yeah, uh, like, uh, I, don't, I don't trust call. people. I think they're gullible and they want to believe in this stuff so bad that people will be like, yeah, it's real, it's live. I definitely see your point, Lon, but I also think it's capable of evolving further than we are where we are right it's, now. it's all a bunch of horseshit. Show me an AI that's able to draw a hand. There was that, that fucking some, one of those fucking in, internet blue check morons posted, and it was a panel, and it was like, like you know, Leica Studios, they did Paranorman and the Box Trolls yes. and Kubo and the Two Strings, Travis Knight's yep, company. For sure. Uh, so it was like, Leica Studios, Calvin and Hobbes. And it's like, you know, a look like a stop motion animated looking vaguely Calvin and Hobbes. First of all, which sucks because Bill Waterston, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, very clear that he doesn't like ripoffs and he doesn't like marketing and he doesn't like third party licensing. He doesn't want other people to do Calvin and Hobbes shit. It's done. It happened. He published it. It's over. Move on with your lives. Is what, okay. That's what the artist wants. Uh, so, so stop making Calvin and Hobbes things that are not licensed because he doesn't like Cease and desist. But also, it didn't yeah. look anything like an actual, like, you can imagine in your imagination because you're a human person with creativity. Yeah, you connect the dots. If I say, like the studio's Calvin and Hobbes, you can picture their art style, but with you are doing a Calvin and Hobbes movie in your mind's eye. Uh... This drawing or this art didn't look anything fucking like that, but people were still sharing it. It's a little more like Krelvin and Horbs. Yeah, it was like, right, it looked exactly, it was just like generic, ugly, off-brand Calvin Hobbes, but he has too many fingers. And <laughs> and, he, and and the other thing was Calvin in, in the drawing, Calvin in the drawing is reading a book. You know, that classic thing Calvin loved to do. That Not the a reader. most famous thing you associate. He was an outdoor kid. <laughs> the thing you associate with that character more than anything is his love of learning and education. Like No. So it's like, exactly, what better proof could you have that the AI doesn't actually understand Calvin and Hobbes like a human does? It just gets the reference because it understands the syntax. Juan, you are kicking these smart computers' ass. You are taking computers. them down it's, a peg. And no, you know what? They're not I'm smart computers. It's your, just I'm ass. enjoying. I'm enjoying your discourse, but you're gonna be public enemy number one when when the singularity clicks. Yeah, Skynet is gonna be like fuck this guy in particular. I heard it's gonna listen to all of Binge Boys in like two seconds and be like fuck this beardo. Or who knows? Maybe they'll just uh, it'll 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 just pop up an image of you, and the next time I send the Zoom link, yeah. AI will be talking with yeah, me. Yeah, it's like every everything is like, oh, you gotta be scared because overnight it's gonna be Megan. It's like it would be awesome if we could create Megan. I would fucking love to meet <laughs> Megan. Are you kidding? We we're just we don't that technology is not real. We made that up. It's never gonna be Megan. It's just apps. They're just more apps. They're just different kinds of apps, folks. We fell for it.
Oh, I think the future is is filled with uh, creepy crawlies and things it, that go bump in the night. Uh, generative AI. It's just apps. It's just a different kind of app. We fell for it. I'm sorry. On that note, that's the news. So, <laughs> coming up, we watch stuff. Ooh, and Ooh we watch gonna... stuff. None of it, all of it was made by human people. Not, nothing made by computers. I insist. As far as we know. Oh my god, and you blew my mind. These two human beings will talk about it right after this. Juan, as I said earlier, we watch things. Now is the time of the show when we speak of those things. Sometimes so, I yell at you if we disagree. I'm trying to do that less. I'm working on my that's rage. Okay. You know, I never, I don't take it personally, Lon. No, I know I, you don't. You're a good guy. I know you don't. But I still, I listened back to that. Right on. I think that's part of this discourse. I listened back to that Banshees of Inishiran episode, and I, I was a little out of line. It was, it was very, it was raucous. I got a little wrapped up in it. I think that's good podcasting. All right. I listen. don't take it personally. because Okay. I, I'll continue abusing you. That's fine. I enjoy chatting with you, so if, if you disagree with me- It is not personal. Me, it's never personal. Yeah. No, I don't think so. You, you, listen, we are both people who enjoy content and watching movies and we TV um, outside of this. So, if And occasionally, we, we like this stuff so much, we get a little passionate about our point of view. Uh, I love that. I think that's yeah. part, of the, part of the deal. I never left the set of movie fights being like, oh, well, I okay. did a few times. Let me take that back. A couple back. times. Once or twice. I did. I did. I feel like I got robbed a couple times. Lon, you and I watched uh, all of the available episodes thus far, which I believe is four of HBO Max's HBO's The Last of Us. No, you're the one Last behind. Of- Episode five they put up early on Friday this week because what? Um, tomorrow, little How event. How did I not hear that? You may have heard of. Super Bowl Sunday. The big game. So they moved The Last of Us. See, here's the thing that's been going on. HBO. How did I avoid that? I I need to turn in my binge boy card. There's actually a news story associated with this that I'll delve into right now. HBO's The Last of Us has grown significantly every single week. Now, HBO shows, as you know, they get the bulk of their views both on TV and on HBO Max on that Sunday night premiere night. That's, it's yeah. like 65 or so percent of their overall views come in on that first night. Uh, so it's a very important night for them. And every single week, Last of Us has grown significantly in its Sunday night audience. The momentum is unlike anything we've seen other than the Game of Thrones franchise. Like it's what we saw gotcha. with Game of Thrones. It's what we saw with House of the Dragon. But other than that, this is a very significant momentum for a season one HBO show, they obviously are terrified to lose steam right. at this point. And I think they're afraid of running headfirst into the biggest TV event of the year this week. So what they yes. did was this week's episode went up last night, baby. Some of us already have watched it. Damn. All right. No, don't, no spoilers for me. I will avoid spoiling it, but I'm just saying. So I want to talk behind. about the show. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like it's. Have you played the game? No, I have not. Have okay, you? Okay, well, I, I have. So we're bringing the, this is good. We're bringing both perspectives in. Yeah, absolutely. So from someone uninitiated, not exposed to the world, I'm learning about what the fungus and everything was. I love the opening explainer. I thought that was very clever um, That uh, on the first episode. You're a and fun I like guy. that the 
Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, I'm a Rolling Stone. I gather you know, in a mushroom walks into a bar and the bartender says, hey, we don't serve your kind in here. And he goes, hey, why not? I'm a fun guy. I like it. I like it. Nicely done, Lon. So and I appreciate that the the rage virus, this disease is a little bit different. The than, rage uh, virus. That's 28 days later, sir. I know, but th- that's a term. Listen, anyone in a zombie thing. Cordyceps. That's what they call this. What they call this is cordyceps after the the, the cordyceps after the species or genus of the the fungus. But it the fills f- these ex-human beings with rage. Yeah, it does. It, it it zombifies them to a significant degree. Listen, all zombies in my book. I feel like I, I just like using that term rage virus because they well, want to they want to bite you. They want to fight you. They, they want to hurt you. The significant thing about this is that the is like they're all connected. It is yes. like the fact that it is a fungal infection is it is significant plot wise. So it's it is not the same as the, it's not a virus. It's yeah. Not and you're virus. not going to get an ointment from CVS pharmacy to take care of this fungal infection. Not for this <laughs> bad boy. Listen, you're on your own, motherfucker. I think this is a breath of fresh air. I love Pedro Pascal. And, you know, let's get to episode three for a second. Uh, I thought it was really nicely done and realized. I know it's a departure from the video game. They didn't explore the relationship as much. But it's a, I think it's a flavor that if we saw maybe a little bit more in The Walking Dead, I'm not saying necessarily the gay flavor, but I thought that was a beautiful story about these two guys coming together. But I'm saying- That was the original title for uh, Brokeback Mountain. Did you know that? The, the gay, gay flavor. flavor. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the, I love the story, but it shows that th- this note of you can find love in a hopeless place, yeah. that there can be happiness while the world is burning around you. And I'm like, wow, that like that we are so, we only get that in like a moment in some episodes and we got this beautiful journey. And it's like, it was just funny hearing like far right idiots like uh, Ben Shapiro and Sebastian Gorka uh, like rail against this thing. Yeah, I, I think what's cool about it, especially from the perspective of someone who knows the story, because I did play through the games, is they're, the games, because it's a video game, so the games, you're in Joel, or at least the first game, you're in Joel's POV. Like, we've w- when you play through these events, you're seated inside Joel, like his perspective on everything. Yep. Well, it's the different actor in the in the game world. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's the character. The that char- is Joel right. in the Andrew episode, Pascal's yes. character, Joel, you're playing it as him. And so you're seeing the events that he sees. You're getting his sort of POV. And the game is very much about that. Like it forces you to make choices and do things that are, you know, you might feel morally conflicted about because you're in the guise of this character. That's a lot of what the Last of Us games are kind of playing around with, is your complicity Mm -hmm. in events because you're the player, even though it's the character that's being put in these scenarios. So what they're doing by translating it into a show is they're not just taking the events of the game and making them into a TV show, although they are doing that, but they're also rethinking all of this stuff from a TV perspective. So because we're no longer in Joel's brain, we can do what episode three does, which is we only Mm -hmm. see Bill in a totally different context. We see him talking to Ellie during, Joel's looking around their their sort of compound for a battery, the truck battery. uh, And we see Bill and, and Ellie have this kind of salty back and forth and he's very like grizzled, like a bit like Nick Offerman in the show. 
But yeah. that scene's not even in the show. They never, Ellie never even gets to meet Bill. And a lot of game fans were like, there's, we missed that whole dialogue with them together. And it's like, we, we do, but we get to see this whole different angle on Bill and this whole much more realized, fleshed out, contextual story of him to get Frank together and they're all back. And it's beautiful and it's a, an experience that does not take away anything from the game, but just adds to the world. It's rich. Yeah, like this really textured, thoughtful way. I agree, Lon. That's the and that's the thing that was one of the fatal flaws of The Walking Dead. Like from like early on, like the first, like you know, by the fourth season, you're like, how repetitive is this show? If they had some like essentially bottle episodes like this, that like really gave you this, like, wow, we're still in the world, but they're different notes. In fairness to Walking Dead and and Kirkman. Uh, and I mean, listen, I like everybody else. The first few seasons, I fucking loved that show. Like, I, I thought it was great. So, you know, we're comparing the, the, the first five episodes of this thing to like season 10 of the other thing. Like, of course, it got right. a little old after a while. And I will also say to them, Kirkman's comic went on for so long. They had kind of filled in a lot of these details, yeah. whereas Druckmann and, and Mason kind of get to explore this world in a cinematic way for the first time. So, uh, not yeah. to take anything away, I, I, I don't, I don't want to make Walking Dead like our sort of whipping boy for this. Absolutely no. I, I, I think do like it, that show. I think they did a lot of forget, cool stuff. People forget uh, very quickly how much of a must-see phenomenon. Yeah, like season one of Walking Dead ruled, and that was where we all first learned. John, like John Bernthal broke through on that show in the first yeah. seasons, and yeah. it was so good. Seasons one and two were really good. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, not to get too far down that road, but I will say one other thing I want to say, and I won't spoil anything. I won't spoil anything. Yeah. But this most recent episode has, there's a very memorable sequence from the game that's a part of the gameplay where you're, 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 as Joel, you're sort of doing a sniper mission. So there's stuff going on in mm. the distance and you've got a sniper rifle, you know, as video games will often do. And you've got to like follow what's going on and like shoot the bad guys at the right time. You know, mm -hmm. they find a way in this most recent episode to truly translate that into a action sequence for television in a way that is like ingenious. And I, I we've seen so many different productions over the years try to do that. Like take a level in a video game. You know, remember like Doom? Do you remember that Doom movie that The Rock yeah. made? Where they yeah. had that whole sequence that was shot like a Doom game where it was in first person. Vaguely. And you got like the, the knife in the foreground bobbing up and down like sure, it's a first sure. person shooter. So there have been like so many clunky versions like that. I was also thinking of Silent Hill. There's a scene where Rada Mitchell goes into like one of the abandoned buildings and there's like platforms moving up and down that she's got to jump between like it's a video game. Yeah. And, like, it always plays hardcore Henry, which is not, uh, which is only a movie, but not based on video game. It was a first person as well. Right. But uh, like, there's been so many attempts over the years to sort of like replicate those kinds of specific moments or beats or video game sequences for movies. And it almost never works. And yet they, they found a way they've somehow figured out how to do it. Finally. I maybe for the first time. Ooh, I look forward to that. I look forward to that. It's really cool. There's great casting throughout. I like Melanie Linsky. 
Uh, Murray Bartlett is uh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. So every, every episode has amazing camp character actors. Yeah. And the, the one thing I will say, you know, what we touched on when we go back to The Walking Dead, when you go back to these post-apocalyptic uh, movies or shows, uh, like, you know what? I have no reason to doubt them. And I like Craig. Craig Mason's the guy behind Chernobyl, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like him. I, I like everything I've seen so far. Ted Cruz's college roommate. Uh, wow. Wow. I feel like I have heard that. Thank you for that reminder. No, he was the guy. Uh, remember when Ted Cruz was running for president, there was that guy on Twitter who was like, I live with Ted Cruz and he was like a chronic masturbator and a real piece of shit and like a huge oh God. nerd. That was Craig Mason. Back, back then he was the guy from like, he wrote, you know, like a bunch of those like parody movie, like he wrote, I don't know, like epic movie, disaster movie, like he used to do those. Oh, wow. Amazing. And yeah, he was Ted Cruz's college roommate and he made fun of him on Twitter a bunch. And that was, I knew, I knew him from that way before Chernobyl. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I, we, we are in well-trod territory. So part of it is like, okay, we're on this journey again. It felt like we we, you know, especially where we have. Pedro Pascal shepherding a young entity to safety. Oh, you're doing, yeah, Mandalorian, yeah. I mean, listen, yeah. these are classic tropes because they're classic tropes. This one person contains the key, uh, kind of like a children of men. We we finally had a but pregnant- But that's not even, I, I get it. And of course, children of men, like Neil Druckmann has said, was a specific inspiration for the story when he right. made the game Last of Us. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, even Children of Men didn't invent that trope. That's just the chosen one, you know. Like it's it's all hero's journey. We're all going back to the same well. But like, yeah, look, man, that's that. It is what it is, you know. Yeah, that like, being said, it's 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 well made. Um, I love just the uh, like the look of the post apocalyptic world is uh, pretty freaking cool. And this is one of the best incarnations of a video game to movies or TV that uh, I can say I've seen. Well, you're a big Sonic the Hedgehog 2 fan. Oh, yeah, deep in the bag for Sonic 2. Last of Us, HBO. Uh, I got some catching up to do. Lon is one episode ahead. Yeah. The next show we're going to talk about, Natasha Leone stars in Ryan Johnson's new murder mystery thriller. Did you thriller. forget the name? It's poker. Poker face. It's poker. poker face. Oh no, no, no! I was just. I uh, felt like you were doing a the, the wickedly talented. I thought we were going to get an Adele disease. Yes. Poker face on Peacock. Poker face on Peacock. Lon, I've got a little bit of a love hate relationship with this show. I got to tell you. Well, I got a little bit of a love hate relationship with that review I just heard. But continue. Sure. Sure. No, you know what? No, it's mostly hate. It's mostly hate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean. Well, that. you know, there's. There's so many good watchable actors in every episode. Oh, high praise, watchable. I know. I'm the, but Judith Light's gonna <laughs> oh, go to sleep God. easy tonight being called watchable. You know what? Some of the finest TV and movie actors there of our generation that's grace better. the small screen. I think that's in more poker face. I'll not have you sass Benjamin Bratt on my podcast, <laughs> sir. Not on Binge Boys, sir. So Natasha Leone is on the run from uh, some casino bigwigs. Benjamin uh, Bratt. Benjamin Bratt and a casino owner. And uh, there's a through line that goes through every episode, but then every episode has Natasha Leone exploring one murder. And I don't think I'm giving. Can you? Can we tell what her special? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think that it's cooked into the premise is that she is like a human lie detector. She can tell 
whenever anybody says anything they know is not true. That's an important distinction. It has to so be something. So I was hitting the. Perf- yeah. It she, has to be something they tell. know Absolutely. for a fact is not true. It can't be they're guessing or whatever. Uh, or they're being like deceptive. It doesn't count. It has to be they're, they're explicitly saying something they know is not true. And so she says it constantly. As soon as she hears something she knows that, that somebody knows is not true, she says bullshit. She just uh-huh. knows every time automatically. Super. Yeah, you see, like you know, she uh, like she uh, like screws up her face, and she's like, "Huh?" Yeah, like she, she knows. Yeah, she knows. Always. And even like she doesn't always, you know, she's clocking it constantly, and maybe like a lot of the time it'll be a reveal. Yeah, maybe she'll keep it in her back pocket and then and 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 trot it out later. Be like, well, I knew you lied about that, but I didn't know why until right now. You know. Yeah, so it's a murder mystery. It's been compared to a little bit of a modern update of Columbo. Well, I think it's explicitly the font even. I don't know if you noticed, but the the fonts at the beginning of every episode, how they come up, that's exactly, that's explicitly from Columbo. Mm. She even does the like, oh, you know what? I did, like, she does that a lot. Yeah. Like, a lot of scenes will almost end and she'll be like, actually, there was one more thing. Like, she's even doing yeah, a Columbo. Yeah, she's very upfront with telling people that uh, she smells bullshit at a certain point when she knows, when, once she knows that they're lying. Right, but I mean, she also does the Columbo just one more thing bit where she, like, pretends that she's done and then she comes up with one more question. That's, yes, yes. That's oh, the crucial question yes, that ties I... it all together. That was Columbo's, that's Falk's signature bit. So this show is really, it's 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 very enjoyable, but I think it's primarily from the performances. I've found that if you really like examine some of these mysteries or like every show, it seems like there's a detail where it's like, oh, well, I, I'll just buy that that happened, even though it shattered the reality of the mystery that uh, they've mean, here's concocted what I, here. Here's what I'll say. I think that with all Ryan Johnson mysteries, yes, this comes up. It's the uh-huh. same issue every time, which is that he's not really making straight ahead mysteries for whatever reason. Some people I've seen suggest even that he's not capable. I don't know if he's maybe just not interested. He doesn't ever do a straight ahead job of presenting here is a traditional mystery. It's always a play on the mystery genre, a send up of the mystery genre, a parody, it, 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 a commentary in some ways. So I think with Poker Face, it's very explicitly a nod to classic TV detective shows. There's all kinds of references to Murder, She Wrote, to Columbo, to all these heart, you know, heart and heart, all these kinds of shows. Canon. Right. Tons of them. And it's a purposeful nod. And I think that including there's a little bit of cheesiness to it. There's a little bit of convenience to a lot of the mysteries and the way things are presented and a lot of the shortcuts that he's taking because I think it's supposed to evoke those kinds of shows and experiences. So I agree with you. The storytelling, the mysteries themselves, it's not airtight. I think that's part of the fun. And I think that if you want to get into it, the key is to, just like with Knives Out, the key is to let that stuff go and give yourself over to the fun and the tone and the characters and the jokes. It is. It's fun. It's tone. It's characters. It's right. not prestige television. No. And I think that that's what I think I like about it. I think if this was trying yeah. harder to be a really like airtight 
like peak TV mystery show, I would be not as yeah, interested. Yeah, I don't necessarily need that, but a couple of times it's just, it felt a little lazy to me. Like you mentioned the great- well, I'll tell you where, the, the one that bugged me, oh, sorry, go ahead. Maybe it's the same one. Does it involve Judith Light? No, I was gonna say the one before that, the heavy metal Okay, one. well, Judith Light, real quick, real quick, Judith Light in the episode, and listen, Judith Light is a, um, she's a queen. She's done so much. Wow. She's excellent in every, she's, everything she's in. But she plays a paralyzed from the waist down woman in a nursing home. Yeah, it's Esapatha, Merkerson, and Judith Leiter. They had her climbing a trellis yeah, with just I mean, her hand. But, I was like, but that's not, I was like, okay. okay, you've just pulled the rug out from the reality. I thought you were talking about like much more intricate stuff that obviously that's ridiculous. Like that's, I don't think that anybody who- It ma made me mad, Lon, it made me mad. Lucky McKee, who directed that episode, the, the great director of May and, and, and many other uh, terrific things, Lucky McKee, uh, he knows that Judith Light, in her condition, that character could not do that. Yeah. It's TV. It's supposed to be silly, escapist, campy, like a classic, evoking the classic golden era of those kinds of TV shows. So I think that's part but like of- when that's the only moment like that in the but whole here's, show? Here, here's what I was saying. I was joking I was joking around about this on Twitter and people were sort of taking me seriously and, and, yeah. and, and it was a bummer, as people tend to do on Twitter sometimes. All of these kinds of shows, Mystery of the Week, they're all built on the same ridiculous premise, which uh -huh. is- one character constantly running into not just murders, yes. but fiendishly intricate and carefully plotted murders, like the perfect murder murders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like even Columbo- Airtight alibi murders. Right, like Columbo, yeah. even when he goes on vacation, somebody gets murdered. Poirot constantly running into murders wherever he goes. Jessica Fletcher from Murder, she wrote- yeah. She, Jessica Fletcher needs to move the fuck out of Cabot Cove because right. there'll Cabot be a lot Cove of murders happening small town. It's, and, and it's not even just murders. It's not even like, like a guy kills his wife or like normal murders, like a drug deal gone wrong murder. It's like, you know, a, a, a guy spent a month setting it up, his business partner in the most fiendish way possible. And that's what this show is too. She's, she's on a random road trip. She's just driving around. And literally mm -hmm. every stop she makes is like, oh, this barbecue entrepreneur is going to take out his brother in the most fiendishly clever way possible. So you're already buying into something dumb. Like, that's ground level. You know what? I will say this. The first episode was so intricately plotted and well-written compared to the rest of the show. The first episode almost set up a slightly but it's different the, it's show. It's the least funny, though. It, it's one of the least funny, but, but so, it was so the most the engaging. I don't agree. Oh, I felt the first episode really sucked you in to like, oh, the, we are playing some like 4D chess here. And I think, I think Barbecue and Retirement Home are by far the best episodes so far. Oh, see, I, I disagree. I thought the first- Little Rel Howery at the barbecue and then Judith Light and- Esapak the Murkison. Yeah, and, and and the casting is fantastic throughout. I think you're a stick in the mud, Rudnick. That's what I, I think. I am a stick in the mud. I, I am a stick no in the mud at all. a little I bit. I think it's this, this, the show's not about the mysteries. Also, it's a little lazy when it comes to the passage of time. Uh, there, there, are, there, there have been several 
Like when she's learning how to do barbecue, it, it the way it was edited, it looked like it was one day. And then afterwards, we find out it was three days. Uh, I don't, it was, there are things that just like, oh, okay. It, it, it's a, some things felt a little. Rennick's like, I know smoking meats and it takes years to. Years you know, to learn that. You're not going to know the taste of uh, apple wood until uh, much later. But. The show is so fun that you forgive the warts, is no, what I'm saying. I'm glad. I'm, I'm sure Ryan Johnson's thankful to be forgiven. Listen, no one gives a fuck. No one gives a fuck. But that's what I thought. <laughs> Ryan Johnson, he could care less. He is. No, I think he actually, he ca- like, he's, he's going to be on Twitter, like, following this uh, closely. Like, somebody tell me what Rudnick thought. He is in his sleep number bed inside the glass onion from the movie, not giving a care. He's the most online filmmaker we have. He's constantly online. We could send him this episode of Binge Boys. I bet he'll listen to it. His wife's Let's a podcaster, married to a podcaster. Oh, yes. Uh, I enjoy her classic Hollywood podcast. Uh, what, what's his uh, wife's name? You must remember this. Yeah, you must, you must remember this. Karina Longworth, right? Karina yes, uh, Longworth. Yes. Yeah, it, I'm right. Karina Longworth. Nicely done. Nicely done. All right, let's invite him to be on the pod. Sure. RJ, open invitation. Poker face. Worth checking out. Warts and all if you want a fun binge. Also, you got to really feel for Lady Gaga because whenever they make the scripted series about her career, now they have to go with a different title. Obviously, I feel like that's the one you would have gone with. Going to have to be born this way, colon the Lady Gaga story now, I guess. I don't know. Queen of the Little Monsters. Uh, so this was this was the one. That's wordy. I feel that's like wordy. this was the one. Bad romance doesn't really work, you know. What about meat dress? Meat dress. <laughs> meat dress colon the Lady Gaga story. I like it. Okay. Or a star is born. No, that's it would be Shallows would be the, that's the name of the movie. That's already the title of a thing. Maybe go with a star is born. Her song from that is Shallows, you know, we're far from, we're far from the shallows now. Remember? Are you trying to duet with me right now, Lon? Yeah. This whole this very singy episode. I feel like I've been singing to you throughout. What if we did a karaoke on Behind the Patreon, we'll just sing a whole Steely Dan album. We'll just do uh we'll just do pretzel logic, <laughs> start to finish. Lon, finally, we watched a Netflix program, new to Netflix. It's a BBC program where they're they're streaming on Netflix. Kunk on Earth, Kunk on Earth, which explores the journalistic pursuits of Philomena Kunk, a character played by Diane Morgan. It's, I would describe it as uh, a National Geographic type exploration gone silly, Lon. Philomena Kunk is a character uh, in the style of, you know, totally different from this because the subtlety uh, on the surface of the character, it's not over over the top um, on the surface. Uh, oh, well, no, the comedy gets to be over the top, but she ingratiates her way in. She pretends to not know how the word Bible is. Yes. Uh, well, obviously, but uh, it, the comedy, but it just on first glance, it's not like a Borat. It's not a an Ollie G. She's not doing a, a, a wacky voice. Yes, she's not doing a wacky voice. 
and there's not a giant physicality. I will say it. I would note National Geographic, not like that's the American sort of analog to what she's doing. But really, yes. I think it's very specifically a parody of BBC documentaries and that kind of like, you know, like if we watch like a, a British historical documentary and you right. get that like, here's a shot of a field and then a, a Tweedy presenter walks in and is like, and it was here at Agincourt in 1709. Yeah. That can, You know, like and it's it's that, that very formal, like in America, we kind of do voiceover. It's a little more slickly presented. This is a specific British documentary kind of- I hear you, it's a specific vibe. I don't know if you are familiar, Charlie Brooker, the guy who did Black Mirror, mm -hmm. he used to do a BBC show called uh, The Weekly White, that's what this is from. This is an old parody that they used to make for the BBC of BBC type reports with Diane Morgan as Philomena Kunk, and this show grew out of that. So it's very, it is kind of a specific to the BBC sort of parody. I think Ali G, as opposed to Borat is like a very, like that's the closest sort of comparison. Yeah. Cause he used to do that same thing. Like remember when we would come out and be like, yo, the media, this word is so misused today. If you look, you know, like he would do that same kind of like formal, like walking in front of the camera and presenting in that way. Yeah. yeah and then one of the hallmarks of this as with Ali G is sitting with an expert who you're interviewing right. and passing yourself off as real. And you could see the, the moments where people realize, who am I talking to? What <laughs> yeah. is this woman's issue? I feel like at this point, if you are a like British professor and the BBC books an interview with you, you, you gotta Google that host. You gotta name. have it in at the back of your point, mind. <laughs> at this point, it, they've pulled enough, uh, they've pulled this enough times. We gotta be like, I gotta make sure this person's on the up and up and I'm not being goofed with. So I, I will just say, I love this show. I think she is so funny. The jokes per capita, the writing on the show is excellent. Like the, the jokes are coming nonstop. And I think it's really effective. At a certain point, uh, you know, if like what you see is what you get. Like if you don't like the first episode, you're not going to like the rest of it. The, the show, like tonally, it doesn't really change. But that being said, uh, if, if it's your cup of tea, yeah, you will enjoy the hell out of it. There's yeah. so many great moments. She's fantastic and she's it's so deadpan and it's so dry while being so ridiculous. I mean, it's that uh, kind of the ultimate like British comedy concoction, I think, cuz it's like it's incredibly like high level on some way like it, yes. it, and yet it's also extremely goofy and dumb and it's that that combination. Oh, she is like Step brothers level dumb. Right. And it's, it's, it, and it's, but it's so dry and, and she's so deadpan, never breaks the reality of it. Uh, and I mean, there are, there are some running gags in this that are so, so good. And like, yes. all, all, all they have to do is just like start to deploy it and you know exactly where it's going. Oh my God. Anytime she talks about 
her mate Paul. Yeah, right. Like, like that, it, and it, and it's, it's not overused. It's just enough for it to be like, as soon as she's like, well, you know, reminds me of my mate Paul, and you're like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, it's really good. It's really funny. And it is like, if you've seen any of those, like the, 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 the sort of BBC historical or scientific kind of documentaries that it's parroting, it's a really like note perfect send up of that exact kind of like really dry sort of, you know, ed- educational and, and content, you know, that's really kind of like overwritten and, and, you know. You've touched on this, like BBC comedy has such a great tradition of sending up educational yeah. programming. Taking the like, piss. Like look, look around that. you yeah. uh, is, is a great one. Well, I mean, and this this goes back even to like Monty Python used to do stuff very much like this, where it's it start the sketch starts like it's a regular BBC program, but then it drifts off into absurdity or chaos. And I mean, it's like a long-standing proud tradition because in, in a lot of ways, like BBC is their government too. So like, you're kind of making fun of a really juicy target when you go after the BBC in England. You know, absolutely. Yeah, Lon and I were both talking before the show that. Uh, yeah, we kind of like, I got wind of, uh, Philomena Kunk, uh, a couple of months ago on YouTube yeah, and there's and some I mean, videos I think there. U.S. comedy fans there, cause they did, she did a show. It was originally segments from this other show, Weekly Wipe. And then they, they did spin it off into, she's done a show or two where it's like European history or British history. And it's the same kind of, kind of vibe. And clips of that have been on YouTube for a while in America, like, so a lot of comedy fans over here have kind of been hip to it a little bit before. In the same way, like, you know, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place kind of made the rounds long before it was actually available to stream. You can watch yes. it now on Amazon Prime in the U.S., by the way, if you've never seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, highly recommended. Very good. Very good. Kunk on Earth, and it's a brisk watch. Oh, it's yeah. Like six 30-minute episodes. half-hour episodes. You'll jam through it if you like it. It's so good. I watched uh, it all in like a day. Yeah, it, it'll make you LOL. Give it a shot. And those are the things that we've watched, Lon. Oh, my goodness. That's my favorite Sesame Street book. Those are the those things, are the we things watched we've watched with Elmo and Grover. You know what? We have some similarities. Yeah. There's also a little Bert and Ernie. If we were Elmo and Grover, who's who? That's my that's my next obvious question for you. That's a tough one because they're like you know you're more of a Bert and I'm more of an Ernie. I would. Yeah, say. I think I think I think that's correct. I think if we were Bert and Ernie, that's that's the lineup. Yeah. Elmo and Grover, it's tough. It's not it's not quite as yeah, binary. They're, they're, yeah, they're both kind of. Like they're both just goofs. wacky, yeah. They're both, yeah, they're both. It's like it's really more. It's like Grover and Tully is really more the dynamic. And in that case, I would say you're Grover, I'm Tully. I'm the big bird to your snuffleupagus. Okay, good. Yes, in that <laughs> I'm just a figment of your imagination and not real. Yes, uh, this is Fight Club, uh, folks. Thank you for listening. Hoot hoot, Owl Nation, Ugh. Starburns Audio. Yes. Starburns Audio. Oh, 88, <laughs> the white supremacist number. Congratulations, Howie. But also it. a very lucky number. Uh, if you in, are a, uh, a white culture. supremacist, as, no, as no. Hal is. no, 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 no. Uh, thank you, Starburns Audio. Thank you, Travis Reeves, for producing us. Thank you, Jason Kay, for the opening music. Lon, do you want to tell them anything else? I'd rather not, but I will. I would say Twitter at LONS. I guess it's still going to work. Sadly, we all still have to stay there. That's where to follow me. Uh, keep up with that for, for whatever is going on with me. That's good for now. That's fine. <laughs>
And I am Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. And follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. And again, those are the things we watch. That's all we have to say this episode. Go home. Bye-bye now. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.